All right. Thank you so very much for coming. We are here now, Women Health First, and we're here to talk about the vaccine, one important topic that's going on in the current age in a public health setting. And with me today is the Dr. Ramatou Mohamed with a special guest. Without further ado, I would like to call on Dr. Ramatou Mohamed to introduce our guest. And Mohamed, Dr. Mohamed will be uh, the host for this whole presentation. And we would like to call on Dr. Mohamed. Dr. Mohamed, welcome. Hi, thank you, Sister Nahila. Um, good afternoon, uh, morning and evening and night, wherever you are joining this webinar from. Um, my name is Ramatu Mohamed, and I am a trained medical doctor from Nigeria who currently resides in the United States. Um, I am the vice president of public health for Women Health First um, promotion, and um, uh, um, I promote um, public health for the organization. Um, we are here today with a very, very important topic, a controversial topic, a hesitant topic. Um, everybody wants to know more about COVID vaccine. Um, with us today um, is Dr. Malemba Ibama. Um, Dr. Ibama is an infectious disease epidemiologist and has worked in domestic and global public health programs for over 10 years. She received a Bachelor of Science in Biology at Seton Hall University in New Jersey in 2001. Her love for outbreak investigations led her to pursue her studies in public health. She obtained her MPH in epidemiology in 2007 and her Doctor of Public Health in 2012 both from the University of North Texas Health Science Center. For the past five years, Dr. Ibama has been working at the Center for Vaccine Equity at the Task Force for Global Health, where she's an associate director. She works with ministries of health in low and middle income countries to develop vaccination programs for respiratory diseases such as seasonal influenza and COVID-19. Prior to her work at the task force, she worked in the Office of HIV AIDS for the Georgia Department of Public Health, where she coordinated the fetal infant mortality review for HIV to address mother to child transmission of HIV in Georgia. She's passionate about improving the health of the underserved, specifically women and children she considers herself an aspiring bridge builder and believes in the power of relationships to address public health disparities. Dr. Ibama is a native of Democratic Republic of Congo and fluently speaks Lingala, French, and English. Please join me to welcome Dr. Ibama to our program. Thank you so much. Um, good afternoon or good evening. Um, everyone, my name uh, is Dr. Malembe Sandrine Ibama, and I'm very grateful to be with you all, even though this is a virtual. I uh, want to thank the organizers again. So Dr. Ramatu Mohamed, thank you. Sister Nahila Ayeva, uh, the Women's Health First Organization, as well as um, this lovely audience for the opportunity to present to you today and just to help you answer the question of, should I get the COVID-19 vaccine. Just as Dr. Mohammed stated, it's a very controversial topic. And uh, what I'm here to do today is just to lay out the facts. I'm not here to push someone on one side or the other. And I hope that um, we can have a constructive discussion afterwards. So just a disclaimer before we get into this presentation. Uh, like I said, I just want to emphasize that this presentation is really tailored to provide as much information as possible to help people who have questions about getting the COVID-19 vaccine or who are hesitant to take the vaccine to be, have more information and make an informed decision on answering the question for themselves. Um, this presentation will come from the perspective of the United States although some data will be given on other countries. So I just want you all to be aware, especially for audience members who may be outside of the United States. So today I'll give you an overview of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, looking at a one year later uh, overview. 
We'll talk about what vaccine is in general, as well as the COVID vaccine. We'll also cover a few things about the COVID vaccine, including who is eligible, uh, the availability of vaccine, and where we the cost of vaccine, as well as what happens after vaccination. We'll also provide you with some uh, resources to help you enroll if you decide to get vaccinated. So this next slide is really a, a, a video that I wanted to share with you all. And it describes the pandemic in about one minute. Okay, so that was a video um, that's available actually and updated every day from the Johns Hopkins University YouTube page. And it gives us a great uh, overview of what, uh, where we've been, you know, what the whole world has gone through with COVID-19 uh, to date. And if you all remember a year ago, um, we received the uh, declaration from the WHO about this pandemic and our lives completely changed. The year 2020 was a year of challenges, like we, the likes of which we had never seen before. Uh, we saw the impact of this virus. We lost loved ones, friends, and friends of friends. We've known at least one person in our network um, that either became sick with COVID or um, died with COVID-related causes. To date, uh, there have been over 120 million infections all over the world and almost 2.7 million deaths worldwide. And these are just those that are reported through official means. This could be even higher um, unofficially. And then if we look at the United States, which is covered in red, we see that the US outnumbers all other nations in cases and in deaths. So about 25% uh, or one out of every four people who have been diagnosed with COVID are in the United States. And about 20% or one out of five people who died from COVID-related deaths are people from the United States. And to date, the US has surpassed half a million deaths. So I live in the state of Georgia and uh, in my state, there have been an excess of a million people diagnosed with COVID and almost over 17,000 uh, deaths related to COVID. So these numbers and these colors on the map seem daunting, but the good news is that COVID-19 is here and it can help protect against COVID-19 related diseases, hospitalizations and deaths. And I hope that you were able to see even from the Johns Hopkins video that some of the numbers for new cases are slowly starting to trend down. So I'm hoping that this is an indication that the vaccine is doing its job. So next slide. So um, what about vaccine? So a vaccine is a powerful medicine which is intended to prevent disease. So a vaccine contains the same pathogen or the same germ that causes disease. For example, in measles vaccines, it contains an, a form of the measles virus, but the virus is usually either killed or weakened to the point that they don't make someone sick. And some, some vaccines can contain only a part of the pathogen as well. So the vaccine mimics the presence of the causative pathogen for the particular disease. And so it'll stimulate your immune system to produce antibodies. And this is really what happens when you're exposed to an actual disease. After you get vaccinated, you develop immunity to that disease without having to get the disease first. And vaccination programs your immune system to remember that particular disease agent by allowing it to practice on a weakened version or a killed version of the pathogen. And so this is usually called the primary immune response. So when or if the pathogen invades the body again in full strength, as you see here in the chart, then the immune system is ready to respond with a quick and specific defense. And this is usually called your secondary response to pathogen. And secondary responses usually happen faster than in, uh, primary responses and have a greater magnitude than primary response. And it results in the creation of even more antibodies and it helps your, to fight your, um, your, the pathogens as well as 
developing memory cells to fight the pathogen also in the future. And I'd like to add that even though the vaccine knows how to do its job, it's only effective if people are ready to receive the vaccine. So a little bit on uh, the COVID-19 vaccine itself. So here's what we know about the COVID-19 vaccine. We know that it's been approved by the US Food and Drug Administration, which is the federal agency that approves the use of medications or drugs in the United States. The vaccine was approved after several trials that, in, that concluded that the vaccine was safe and was uh, favorable in terms of efficacy. And I'll talk a little bit about what this means a little bit further down in the presentation. The initial trials or in tests did not include children under 16 or pregnant women. And so we know that pregnant women can get be at a higher risk for coronavirus complications if they're infected. But not having that safety and efficacy data for pregnant women during the initial trial did cause some hesitancy among expected moms. However, there were some women who did become pregnant during the vaccine trials and to date still have been uh, monitored. Um, as of last month, there were over 30,000 pregnancies that were reported in the CDC post-vaccination health checker app, which is called VSAFE, which I'll highlight also later in the presentation. And uh, through that uh, portal, there were no specific issues that had been observed in over those 30,000 uh, women who were pregnant and who took the vaccine. So now looking at the next phase of vaccine trials. Uh, now the vaccine trials involving pregnant women is now underway in the US and worldwide. Starting with Pfizer, Pfizer is going to have a trial to assess vaccine safety and efficacy among pregnant women. And it's also going to look at whether or not vaccine can transfer antibodies to the newborns to protect the newborn babies. So the trial includes 4,000 healthy pregnant women from at least nine countries who are between 24 and 34 weeks pregnant. So the later part of the second trimester up to halfway into um, their third trimester. So half of the women will, will receive a placebo and Pfizer says that mothers who receive a placebo will get a real vaccine or will be offered a real vaccine a month after they give birth if they choose to receive the vaccine. And that's important also because it's believed that nursing mothers can pass antibodies to their newborns through breast milk. And the results of these trials will be expected next summer, so summer of 2022. But so far, um, outside of the trials, there have been over 50,000 pregnant women who have already received the vaccine without waiting on trial results. And now in terms of COVID trials for uh, young children and adolescents, Pfizer also has enrolled over 2,000 kids between the ages of 12 and 15 into its COVID vaccine trial. And the trial in younger kids is really necessary to better understand what the correct dose is for those children and to understand the safety and efficacy in that age group. And even though we know that uh, children are usually less affected by COVID-19, they still can catch the virus and can get sick and some have even died. Um, we, to date, I think we have more than 2.5 million cases of COVID-19 reported in children. And um, this is a report from the American Academy of Pediatrics. So in terms of uh, enrolling adolescents, that's been a bit more challenging. Uh, so for kids uh, ages 12 to 17, Moderna, uh, which is another vaccine manufacturer, has had um, recruitment that's been slower than anticipated. So out of 3,000 kids that are needed for uh, enrollment, only 800 kids have been uh, enrolled so far. So that's taking a little bit longer than anticipated. And so with, I just wanna talk a little bit about uh, factors that contributed to the rapid development of COVID-19 vaccine. 
So you all heard about the term of warp speed or operation warp speed. And so with the fast track of development of COVID vaccine research, a lot of people had concerns about the rush of the vaccine and these concerns created hesitation about the vaccine as well. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about those factors and um, just to, again, open up the discussion, give you as much information as possible for you to make that your decision. So first and foremost, uh, the scientific community already knew about the coronaviruses because there are many types of coronaviruses in nature. There are over a hundred types or hundreds of types in, in nature. And the virus that causes COVID is called SARS-CoV-2. And it's part of, again, a larger family of coronaviruses. And in addition to that, there was also a very strong worldwide cooperation and public-private partnerships in the research and distribution of the vaccine. Because again, no country was spared from the pandemic. And just to give you a little bit of context, uh, the last time there was a pandemic of this dimension was uh, over 100 years ago. So in the influenza pandemic of 1918, which we call the Spanish flu. So also just important to note is that the scientific community established some rigorous rules for clinical studies and technology, knowing that they needed to do things quickly and do it the right way. And so with that, they were able to enroll thousands of interested volunteers quite quickly, and then they were able to get results on the efficacy and safety of those vaccines also relatively quickly. So now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the COVID-19 vaccines that are approved in the US. So worldwide, before I do that, worldwide, there are actually 12 COVID-19 vaccines that have been uh, licensed and used in other countries. Um, there are still also about 57 can candidate vaccines. So those that are still going through several phases of clinical trials. So in the United States, we have three vaccines that are licensed. So we have Pfizer, we have Moderna and Johnson & Johnson. Pfizer is licensed for use in uh, children or children 16 and up and then adults. So people 16 and older. And then Moderna and Johnson & Johnson are both licensed for people 18 and older. Pfizer and Moderna are developed using a newer technology, using messenger RNAs vaccine, which I'll talk a little bit later on in this presentation. And Johnson & Johnson uses more of the traditional method of uh, vaccine development. So in terms of doses, you've, you've heard it in the news as well. So Pfizer, Moderna, you need two doses. Johnson & Johnson only requires one dose, even though Johnson & Johnson is still currently investigating the efficacy and the safety of using a second dose. So those results also um, will come out soon, I hope. And so in terms of efficacy, you see that Pfizer and Moderna are uh, comparably have the efficacy of about 95%. And then for Johnson & Johnson, the efficacy was reported at uh, 72% against all cases of COVID and 86% against severe cases. So I wanna just highlight again what, um, what efficacy means because someone might want to go with one vaccine or the other based on the level of efficacy, but really all three vaccines are achieving uh, the minimum efficacy required by the FDA. So for the, for the FDA, minimum efficacy is 50%. And to just give you a, some more perspective, uh, with influenza vaccines, influenza vaccines can sometimes have an efficacy of 40% or 45%. And that vaccine is still recommended every year because it can still prevent disease, hospitalization, and death. So it doesn't necessarily need to be at 100% or 95%. And in addition to this, all the clinical trial data for all three vaccines showed that they were 100% effective in preventing hospitalizations and deaths from COVID-19. So those are some of the indicators are, that are the most important for us as well. And now just going to give a little bit of information about uh, mRNAs, what they are and what they're not. So 
uh, mRNA or messenger RNA vaccines, as I said earlier, are a new type of vaccine technology, and they're used to protect against infectious diseases. In the traditional way of making the uh, vaccines, uh, in order to trigger an immune response, many vaccines usually have a weakened or inactivated germ or pathogen that's introduced into our bodies, but not mRNA vaccines. mRNA vaccines, in, instead, they teach our cells how to make a protein or a piece of a protein, which then triggers an immune response inside our bodies. Then that immune response, which produces antibodies, is what protects us from getting infected if the real virus enters our bodies. So mRNA, we talk about it being a new technology, but it's not unknown. It's been studied before for influenza, for Zika, for rabies and other uh, diseases as well. And so as soon as the necessary information about SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19 was available, scientists were already able to start designing the mRNA instructions for cells to build a unique uh, protein, which we call the spike protein, uh, into an mRNA vaccine. And so I also want to talk a little bit about some myths or do a bit of bit myth busters regarding COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. So um, the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine does not contain a live virus and does not cause COVID-19 disease. It doesn't contain pork, egg, or fetal particles. It does not affect or interact with our DNA in any way. In any case, the mRNA, as soon as it enters our bodies and teaches our cells to build that uh, spike protein, it disintegrates into our body. So it doesn't last long in the body. And it also does not impact fertility. So a little bit more about mRNA vaccines and why they're so important. So we're still learning about, the, about COVID. We're still collecting data on the effectiveness of the COVID vaccines to prevent severe disease and to prevent death. And mRNA vaccines, which again are the technology used in Pfizer and Moderna, have been proven to prevent asymptomatic infection. So asymptomatic infection is really looking at if you remember uh, during throughout the news reports, there was a lot of uh, people who were catching COVID-19, but they weren't developing any noticeable symptoms. They didn't have a fever, they didn't cough, they never felt short of breath. They didn't have any other symptoms that were you know, related to COVID or that were on the list of COVID symptoms such as diarrhea or the loss of smell or taste. So a lot of, a big proportion of people had what was considered silent symptoms. Internally though, they were taking hits inside their body, such as damage to the lungs. And so damage to the lungs can be more manageable in children because they have uh, more vitality, more capacity. But when you're now looking at older adults who have diminished immunity, it becomes very problematic. So initially, uh, when these vaccines were authorized, a key point was that they prevented the manifestation of disease. So all the symptoms that you could see, but it, we didn't have any information as uh, regarding whether or not it could prevent asymptomatic infection. And so just recently, there was a new study done at the Mayo Clinic that was just published also this month in the Journal of Clinical Infectious Disease. And so they looked at a little bit under 40,000 people who were vaccinated and had been screened before a medical procedure. And what they found was that 10 days after their second dose, they had overall 80% efficacy of lowering the risk of asymptomatic infection, which is really great news. So now I wanna to talk to you a little bit about uh, vaccine use around the world and what it's looking like. So around the world, globally, there have been, uh, in the beginning uh, when vaccines were available, we started with about 87,000 people who received their first dose by mid-December of 2020. And as you can see from that char this chart, uh, the number has been steadily increasing. To date, 3% of the world's population have received at least one dose and 
1% of the world's population is fully vaccinated. So we still have a long way to go in terms of getting adequate number of people vaccinated. So the next slide, just breaking it up by countries, you can see that Israel is the country that leads with the share of people who have received at least one dose of COVID vaccine. And uh, they have over 50% of um, their population that have received at least one dose. And this is followed by the UK. And then if you're looking for the United States, we are fifth place with 23%. And this is just people receiving at least one dose. So now when you look at the United States, uh, when vaccination began in the US, there were about half a million people living in the US who received their first dose by December 20th. And to date, we have at least uh, almost uh, yeah 23% of people living in the US that have received at least one dose and almost 12% of people living in the US that have been fully vaccinated. Then I'd like to bring it down one more level to the local perspective. So like I said, I live in Georgia. And so by mid-January, we had 80, uh, over 85,000 Georgians who received their first dose and a little under 9,000 people were fully vaccinated. So the latest numbers show now that over almost, yeah, over 1.7 million Georgians which is only 16% of the population in Georgia have received their first dose and a little under 10% or over a million people have been fully vaccinated. So now I'd like to talk to you a little bit about eligibility and who is eligible for vaccine. Since we're now in a pandemic phase or acute stage of the pandemic, there's still, um, we go through a, a tiered system, which is uh, really advocated for and which is uh, which guidance is given by generally by CDC and uh, World Health Organization for other countries. And so in the United States, each state has its own plan for deciding which groups of people will be vaccinated first. Uh, the best way to do, do it is you contact your state health department for more information on COVID vaccine plan for uh, those living in the U.S., again, the best place to go for information is really the CDC website. So if you go to the CDC website, you can select your state's health department, and then you'll land on um, the, the state's plan on current eligibility criteria for COVID-19 vaccines. And each state will uh, expand to different populations at different times. And so I'll show you an example of um, one state, again, Georgia, because this is the state I live in, um, and just looking at all the people that are now eligible. So it definitely has expanded um, earlier in the month, uh, only the top four boxes that you see on the slides were eligible, and now it's expanded to additional groups. Uh, so we have caregivers of people that are uh, 65 years old or older. We have individuals who are 55 years and older, healthcare workers, emergency personnel, law enforcement. Uh, we have children who, or parents of children with complex medical conditions, teachers, adults that have intellectual or de developmental issues, and then uh, individuals of ages 16 and older as well. Um, that have uh, specific health issues as well are, uh, are eligible to get vaccinated. And again, so this varies by state. Um, other states have already begun vaccinating people 45 and above. And um, other states also have already expanded it to every, every individual. So again, depends on uh, the state you live in. So I encourage you to go to the CDC website if you are in the United States and look up your state's um, health department information to get more information on that. So in terms of uh, the cost of the vaccine, there have been some questions about people hesitant to get vaccinated because of the fear of the cost. And so I wanna assure you that the vaccine is completely free it's free for anyone living in the United States. If you go to a doctor or hospital for the vaccine, the healthcare staff may charge your insurance, your Medicaid or your Medicare, but it's only for administrative costs. 
But other than that, you pay nothing out of pocket. And for those that um, are in the US but aren't legal or don't have a legal status in the US, there is also an opportunity to get vaccinated. Um, the US Department of Homeland Security issued a statement last month saying that they're committed to making sure that everyone who needs a vaccine can get one regardless of immigration status. So the statement also said that FEMA, which is the Federal Emergency Management Agency, will set up and support fixed vaccination facilities, temporary vaccination sites, and mobile vaccination clinics, and that the immigration or ICE will not conduct enforcement operations at or near those vaccination sites. So we're hopeful to get a little bit more information on those plans as well soon. So now what can you expect after you receive the COVID-19 vaccines? Those are still questions that many people have and it's normal to have these types of questions. So you may have some minor or mild side effects. These are normal signs that your body is building immunity or building up protection against COVID-19. So these mild effects uh, may include pain at the injection site, low-grade fever, fatigue, headache, or muscle pain. Some of the side effects from the COVID-19 vaccination may resemble that of the flu, if you've ever had the flu, but most of these side effects will disappear within a, a few days. And to reduce pain and discomfort, there are different uh, tips that have been provided. You can apply uh, a clean, cool, damp washcloth to the area where you've been injected, or you just move your arm around or exercise your arm to minimize pain. If you have any discomfort or feel a low-grade fever, make sure to drink plenty of fluids, dress lightly. And if you do have a fever and if you need to, you can use some over-the-counter medication to help reduce your fever. However, if your fever persists, then of course, by all means, uh, call your health provider to let them know. Another way too of just keeping people or the CDC informed on how you're doing after vaccination is using the vSafe app. So the CDC developed a new uh, application which is called uh, vSafe and it can be downloaded on your smartphone after you are vaccinated. And it's really to help gather information and identify any problems with the COVID-19 vaccine as soon as possible. So for those who do decide to get vaccinated, there is life after COVID vaccination. So we're still learning about how vaccines will affect the spread of COVID-19. But after you've been fully vaccinated against COVID-19, you should still keep taking the precautions in public places, like wearing a mask, staying six feet apart from others, avoiding crowds and poorly ventilated places until we know more. CDC released some updated guidance recently for people who have been fully vaccinated. And here, when I say fully vaccinated, I mean people who have received two doses of Moderna or Johnson & Johnson, I'm sorry, Moderna or Pfizer vaccine and have been vaccinated at least two weeks after that or two weeks after people have received their one dose of Johnson & Johnson. And so for people who have been fully vaccinated, here's what's changed for you. So if you're fully vaccinated, you can gather indoors with fully vaccinated people without wearing a mask. You can gather indoors with unvaccinated people from another household. For example, if you're visiting relatives who all live together, then you can go ahead and do that without masks, unless um, any of those people or anyone they live with has an increased risk for severe illness from COVID-19. So if anybody that you know uh, hasn't been vaccinated yet, but they're uh, either of have the higher age bracket or have an underlying uh, chronic disease, then you might want to be aware of that and uh, take some precautions as well. So if you've been around someone who has COVID-19 and you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to uh, quarantine or stay away from others or get tested unless you have symptoms. However, if you live in a group setting, like a correctional center, detention facility, or a group home, 
and you are around someone who has COVID-19, then you, you might still stay away from others for about 14 days and then get tested, even if you don't have symptoms. So looking at the things that haven't changed. So for now, if you're fully vaccinated, you should still take the steps to protect yourself and others in many situations. You'd like wearing a mask, staying at least six feet apart from others and avoiding crowds and poorly ventilated spaces. So you would take these precautions whenever you're in public, whenever you're gathering with unvaccinated people from more than one other household, or when you're visiting with an unvaccinated person who is at an increased risk of severe illness or death from COVID-19, or someone who lives with a person with an increased risk. By all means, you should still avoid medium or large size gatherings. You should also delay domestic and international travel, but if you do have to travel, uh, just asking you to look at the CDC requirements and recommendations regarding domestic and international travel. You should also still watch out for symptoms of COVID-19, especially if you've been around someone who is sick. So if you have symptoms of COVID-19, you should get tested and stay home and stay away from others. And in the workplace, you would still need to follow guidance that's uh, provided there. So I'd like to share also a couple of resources for more information. So again, this information is specific to people living in the United States. So each state has its own plan for deciding which groups of people will get vaccinated first and you can contact your, your state health department for more information on its COVID-19 vaccination plan. Most vaccination providers are using online scheduling systems to schedule vaccination appointments for eligible people. And to schedule a COVID-19 vaccination appointment, you need to contact the vaccination provider. So I've shared some links here um, to help you navigate through all those sites. So if you're among uh, those currently recommended to get a COVID-19 vaccines, you can visit vaccinefinder.org to find vaccination provider near you. In some states, the information can be limited uh, while more vaccination providers and pharmacies are being added. So they're, you know, check regularly to see if additional uh, sites are being added. You can also check your local pharmacy's website to see if vaccine appointments are available and to find out which pharmacies are participating in what we call the Federal Retail Pharmacy Program, you can go to the CDC's website on Federal Retail Pharmacy Program. You can, again, uh, I urge you to contact your state health department to find additional vaccination locations in your area. And for most uh, state health websites, you can either put in your zip code or, um, it already has a list by, by county or by city. Another way to get more information on how or where to get your COVID-19 vaccine is by checking your local news outlet. They're one of our uh, up-to-date resources on how to get a vaccine. And really the goal is just for everyone to be able to get a COVID-19 vaccine easily and as soon as uh, large quantities of vaccines are available. And as the vaccine supply keeps increasing, then states will definitely add more groups to the list of those who can receive their vaccine. Now, if you're not eligible to get a COVID-19 vaccine yet, you can still learn more about COVID-19 vaccine. This is probably an opportunity for you to get more informed. Um, and also, uh, once you make the decision that you want to get vaccinated uh, when it's available for you, then why not become an ambassador for COVID-19 vaccine, share accurate information about COVID-19 vaccines, and help others um, or ensure that others in, in your community are vaccinated. So there's an opportunity uh, for you to remain active as you're waiting to be eligible for vaccine. Again, going down to the local level or in Georgia, um, the best place for information is the Georgia Department of Public Health website. You can also go to myvaccinegeorgia.com and these other links to find um, a location and make an appointment. If you don't have access to a computer, you can call the health department's vaccine scheduling hotline 
which I've put on the slides here. It's 888-457-0186. And if you still have questions about vaccine, that's completely normal. Um, you know, this presentation was really brief. There's so many topics to cover and I may not have answered all of your questions today. So if you do have questions about vaccines, I encourage you to talk to your healthcare provider. He or she can provide you with science-based advice about vaccination for you and your family. Um, and there's a lot of information online, but I do recommend that when you're looking online for information about vaccines, that you consult trustworthy sources. I've seen a lot of images and information that come through social media platforms, and these may not always come from a trustworthy source. So just to heed a warning to that. Um, the CDC website has a wealth of information on COVID-19 uh, and COVID-19 vaccine. So definitely encourage you to go there. It's very user-friendly. There's a search bar and you can just key in anything, any keywords, um, and you'll find information on what you're looking for regarding COVID-19 or the vaccine. In addition to that, for people who are outside of the US, there's the WHO has uh, reviewed and certified many websites across the world that provide only information that are based on reliable scientific evidence and have been independently reviewed by leading technical experts. And so these websites are all members of the Vaccine Safety Net. And the Vaccine Safety Net has resources from 42 countries, including uh, North America, so the US, Canada, and uh, it's available, the resources are available in 36 languages. So definitely a wealth of trustworthy resources available at your disposal. And now to conclude, I just want to go over what we know and what we're still learning about COVID-19 and COVID-19 vaccines. So we know that COVID-19 vaccines are effective at preventing COVID-19 disease, especially severe illness and death. What we're still learning about is how effective the vaccines are against variants of the virus that cause COVID-19. And I didn't go, I didn't talk much about the variants here. Um, so you've heard in the news that there are, there's a UK variant, South African variant, Brazilian variant now, also starting to circulate in the US. And so we're still learning about how the current vaccines that we have, how effective they are against these variants. The early data show that the vaccines may work against some, but could be less effective against others. So it's still yet to be determined. What we know is that other prevention steps can help stop the spread of COVID-19 and these steps are still important, even as the vaccines are being distributed. As you saw in the earlier slides, yes, vaccines are being distributed. There's a limited amount, and it's still a small proportion of people. If we look at worldwide, there's less than 5% of people around the world who are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and then merely 12% in the US who are fully vaccinated. So we have a long way to go. We're still learning how well COVID-19 vaccines can keep people from spreading the disease. And so the early data showed that the vaccines can help keep people from spreading COVID-19, but we're still learning more and more as people get vaccinated. And the key word here is that as more people get vaccinated, the more information we know about how well it's performing in real life. Because a lot of the trial data is done in controlled environments. And so what's important is also understanding how the vaccine performs in real life situations. And this is what we're seeing right now with a vaccine being implemented and administered all over the world. We're still learning about how long COVID-19 vaccines can protect people. That's a question that many people are raising and thinking about when they're deciding whether or not to get the vaccines. I've heard of question previously from, from a few people where they've asked, well, should I just wait to get infected with COVID and then have immunity or should I get the vaccine? My inclination is always to tell people to get vaccinated 
we know that having COVID does give you some antibodies and does confer or give you some protection, but it's time-limited protection. Uh, right now, I think the data show that it's potentially three months, but it's not a long-term protection. So people who do have an ex a history of having had COVID should still get vaccinated. And as we know more, you know, CDC will continue to update recommendations for both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. So until we know more about those questions, everyone, even people who've had their vaccines, should continue taking these basic prevention steps when recommended. And so I can't end this presentation without showing you where you can access information about the three vaccines currently authorized for use in the US. Like I said, CDC has is your one-stop hub for information regarding COVID vaccine and COVID disease. So here are the three links for Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. You can also just simply go to cdc.gov and in the search bar, you can enter the vaccine name and you will have information about the vaccine pop up. So with that, all right, with that, I just wanna thank you all again for your attention. Thank you, Dr. Mohammed, Dr. S uh, and Sister Naila. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and share. I'm happy to entertain any questions that the audience has or the hostess also has. I, I may or may not have an immediate answer for you. If I don't have an answer for you, I'm happy to follow up with Women's Health First and provide additional information as I receive it. So thank you so much again for the opportunity to share this presentation with you. I'll turn it back over to Dr. Mohammed to take over the rest of this presentation or session. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Ibama. This is a very thorough um, and informational um, webinar. Thank you so much. You you literally touched everything. <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody's gonna have any question, but you know, um, because it's new, so there might still be some gray areas here and there. I Absolutely. will quickly look at the chat and um, see what people have in there. So um, for those that wanted a recording, um, usually our recordings are ready within 24 to 48 hours. So we would share that with you. Um, we have a question about nursing mothers. Is the vaccine safe for nursing mothers? That's a very good question, uh, Dr. Mohammed. So far, uh, women who have received vaccine after postpartum or uh, currently nursing are able to, uh, they found that it's safe. And the, the benefit is that they're able to transfer that those antibody or that immunity to their babies. So yes, it's safe. Uh, Dr. Mohammed, you're mute. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I was saying, um, if everyone, if anyone wants to answer, um, ask a question, you could go ahead and unmute yourself um, and ask, because some are on devices that may not be convenient to type in a question. Um, we welcome both our um, verbal and written questions. Thank you so much for that question. That's a very uh, important question. I haven't uh, re seen any data related to the armpit swelling or breast uh, lumps, as you state, but I'm happy to do some investigating and maybe get back to Women's Health First with uh, some additional information. If you like to stay in touch, and then we can uh, just let you know uh, what I find out. If you could... Um... Sanders, I don't know um, if you have our email, but it's info at womensfest.org. Email us your question again so that we can get back to you, just so that we can keep tabs on people that need feedback. Thank you so much for that um, great question and for the response, Dr. Ibrahima. We have more questions on the chat. Um, Dr. Baba is asking, is it safe to conceive after the vaccine? Thank you, Dr. Baba. That's a very good question. Um, as I stated earlier in the presentation, 
the vac the COVID-19 vaccines do not affect fertility. Uh, so right now we don't have any data indicating that it would be a negative impact to conception or to uh, attempts to conceive. I have a few questions here. Um, one is asking what is the difference between one or the two shot vaccine? That means they're asking about the Johnson and Johnson and the other types, the Pfizer and the other type of vaccine. Um, if you could give us a few sentences to support that. Sure, Dr. Mohammed. Um, so really the, the main difference with uh, the one and two shot is just the way that the vaccine is uh, developed. So with the two shot vaccines, they're using the mRNA, which I talked about, the messenger RNA. And then the one-shot vaccine uses the traditional method of making vaccines. Uh, one of the main differences too is, which probably impacts the way that it's used in, uh, not necessarily in the US, but outside of the US is uh, the, vac the temperature requirements. So the two-dose vaccines, because the mRNA have a higher temperature requirement, it has to be sub sub-zero and uh, the Johnson & Johnson is a little bit more stable. So when we talk about uh, countries that are now using the COVID vaccines, only a few are have the capacity to even take Pfizer or Moderna in their countries. But other than that, all are 100% effective in reducing deaths and hospitalizations related to COVID. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Ibama. Oh my God, I love this presentation. A lot of interesting questions coming up. Um, thank you so much. Please send us email to the info at womanhealthfirst.org and we will um, share with you. Okay, that's a good question. So in terms of follow-up, CDC is very um, interested in understanding the, if the, the, the way that the vaccine works in real world settings. And so that's why you get um, their communication asking you to report back if you have any, um, any types of uh, issues. They have a surveillance systems, which is the vaccine adverse events reporting system. And so they will continue uh, to uh, question or send information. And I know you said that you got your vaccine on the 7th of March. That was the second time or the second dose. Um, so it really, yeah, I, I don't know the exact protocol for uh, the vaccine or it depends on the vaccine that was given, but I don't know the exact protocol for that vaccine for the VAERS surveillance system. Um, and sometimes it can be 30 days, sometimes it can be more. And it's really, they just wanna understand how it reacts in, in real world settings. Usually in the clinical trials, they enroll people that are, that are quite healthy, healthy adults with no underlying chronic issues. And so when now it's administered in real world settings, it's usually adults that have underlying issues, whether they know it or not, a lot of us, have uh, issues that we are unaware of. So um, it's a good opportunity for CDC to also understand how the vaccine is doing in um, the population at large. And so as long as you're willing to uh, provide it, absolutely not obligate, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you're not obligated to continue sending that information, but it does help CDC better understand uh, how, it's how the vaccines are working in the real world context. Dr. Yes, just uh, I just saw a question also pop up. Um, so first, uh, again, to the sister having um, the complications from um, the or post vaccine. Again, I said in my presentation that mild uh, effects are normal. It's the way that your body reacts to build up its immunity. But if you see that it persists, just like Sister Nahila said, just like Dr. Mohammed said please reach out to your healthcare provider, let them know so that they can guide you through what to do and what uh, and next steps. And then um, she also had a question about um, long-term side effects from the vaccine. So again, just wanna reiterate uh, what the vaccine does. The vaccine is not, uh, you shouldn't think of the vaccine as medication per se, but it, the vaccine is a tool that helps to teach your body to protect itself against COVID-19 infection. And so it teaches your body by coming in, 
um, making all these antibodies, making memory cells so that when the real infection comes, your body is ready to fight against this infection. And so it has, there's no anticipated long-term effects or sequelae from, uh, from the vaccine. But of course, again, you know, we've been, uh, this vaccine is still relatively new because we're still in the acute phase of the pandemic. And so we're probably going to be going through vaccination and going through this way of life for a few more years. And so with that, as we, as we said, we're still understanding, trying to understand COVID-19 disease itself, as well as to understand how COVID-19 vaccine works in the real world setting. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Ibaba, for um, patiently going through all our questions. We really know that your time is very important to you and um, taking out time for us, we really appreciate it. My and pleasure. really for also the attendees um, staying back with us almost um, half, half and a half hour time at, um, increment based on our schedule. Um, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate your being here. But I would wanna leave you with a question. I, I, I'm not sure you have an answer to, but just a question that would give you something to go like a homework. <laughs> so I was thinking, you know, the vaccine actually um, has also another effect where it would confer herd immunity to those that can't take it because of some underlying medical condition. Mm -hmm. But I know also it is recommended um, for people to continue wearing their mask after vaccination. I feel that it may be a hindrance into achieving herd immunity if everybody is still masking up. So that means other people that um, can't have the vaccine are not exposed to, to, to the, the effect of herd immunity from those that have had the vaccine because they're still doing everything to stop them sharing what is in them. You understand what I'm saying? Like, the, um, like probably since it's through aerosols, um, that the virus spreads, um, I believe that is also the way um, the vaccine could confer herd immunity. If you have an answer for me, you can, you don't have to answer it, but I just like to juggle the brain a bit. Like probably we're not looking at that um, aspect of if everybody getting the vaccine is still protecting themselves against those that are, have not had the vaccine. So that means we are actually hindering the effect of achieving that herd immunity. But, um, you can say something if you have an answer. Well, you don't have I, I to. Guess. I just wanted to give you something to go and think about. I'll <laughs> have to think about it. But one thing, one thing that I've heard uh, Dr. Fauci say is every time they ask him about herd immunity, he says, "Don't worry about that. Just get vaccinated." Meaning we are still Take so far itself. away from getting herd immunity. We're not even at fifty percent people vaccinated. We have a long way to go, and so. You know, there's it's a it's a it's a valid question, of course. You know, should I still wear my mask? But you know, people that are vaccinated can still be carriers mm -hmm. of, of the of the the virus. So yeah. if they're around, just like the guidelines said, if you're around someone who's at high risk of complications and hasn't been vaccinated yet, yes, please wear your mask because you will be doing them a lot of harm if you were to expose them. And so, you know. Herd immunity also comes, you need to hit a certain threshold and we're, we're just not there yet. So that's what I wanted to leave you with. Thank you so much. Um, so um, with that, I would want to invite you again to give us um, some closing sentence or two um, before we go back to our CEO, Women Health First, to also give her closing remarks, then we would round it up. Yes. So well, Dr. Ibama, you. could you give us a few sentences? Yes, absolutely. Thank you again, Dr. Mohammed, Sister Nahila. This was really a pleasure uh, to be able to just share with uh, Women's Health First, the community on uh, COVID-19 vaccine. I know that many people, there's still a lot of questions and a lot of questions that even CDC still doesn't know. We're all learning together. But as we're going through this acute phase, we know that this is an emergency period. And so you're faced with having to make a decision and a decision quickly. For those of you that are not eligible yet, you still have some time to think 
and gather as much information as possible. But for those of you that are eligible and have underlying conditions that are at high risk of getting complications from COVID, I would say talk to a health provider if you need more information, visit CDC website, visit WHO website if you're outside of the US and make an informed decision to get vaccinated. Thank you. Thank you, um, Dr. Ibama. Um, Sister Nahila, if you could please um, give us. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Ibama. It's amazing. I'm speechless at this point. And I would like to really just say that we would love to get it back, you know. <laughs> Dr. Mohamed, please, you have to extend the invitation at your level. <laughs> so I would like you to go ahead and close it up, Dr. Mohamed. Again, thank you so very much. And thank you, the audience. Uh, Dr. Mohamed? Yes, so thank you once more, um, everybody on attendance in this webinar. Um, this is a very um, much needed webinar, um, current event, um, what everybody in the world is talking about. And as you know, Women Health Fest is here to give you information that would improve your health first. <laughs> right? A tongue twister. Anyway, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, um, um, Dr. Ibama. We cannot thank you enough. Um, Sister Nahida, thank you so much, um, attendees. God bless you and have a good day. We will have, um, if you need webinars, please, and we don't have your contact, send us email through the email in the chat box. Please copy it now so you don't miss it. Info at womenhealthfirst.org. Have a blessed rest of your week. Thank you.